It's This Week in Sleeves with your host, the great lord, Joshua Riegel and Sleazy K. This podcast has been rated Category 3. No one under 18 may be permitted. Let's start there. We wish you a merry fucking by Charlie Joe Carroll. Let's start it off. Off. Those are the only lyrics. What can, what kind of lyrics do you need beyond that? Let's wish you a merry fucking bye, Charlie Cho. Anyway, at this point, it's more about tradition over here on the podcast than quality. But since uh, we uh, worked, uh, you know, an entire year privately and as podcasters, you uh, should, and I uh, suppose you always could find uh, Charlie and that uh, grin of his uh, up to sexual or supernatural shenanigans. You you can find two movies, and you should sit through two movies and then put together a little uh, in the in the spirit of Christmas podcast. So we 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 gotta follow tradition here on this weekend's lease, and therefore we are here in the tidy way to theater to talk of two Charlie Joe movies this uh, year as well, as we say goodbye to a pretty dreadful year. That was uh, 2020. Uh, but uh, let's focus on the movies. In the story of Lady Sue, Charlie has a sweet pencil thin, thin moustache and shoots energy bolts out of his hands and does actual action. Not sexual action, but actual action. Uh, made on a $10 budget, but still, that's what he does. That's cool. And in Madame Function's Lover, a.k.a. Demon Wet Nurse, his prowess is so mighty women simply and literally die after having sex with him. So I think we've picked the right films for Christmas. Uh, my name is Lise Kay, and uh, straight from the front line uh, treating and protecting uh, his uh, fellow uh, man and woman is uh, the great Lord Joshua Regal. So um, uh, welcome, and uh, thank you for all your efforts this year, in all seriousness. Oh, hush. Well, it, it, it can't have been a regular year in the healthcare profession this year. Represented new adjustments um, working uh, uh, with COVID. I, I know you don't work constantly with COVID-19 patients, but certainly this year in uh, your line of work has been, um, that's been a theme, obviously. It's been present. You've uh, encountered it more head-on than someone uh, that doesn't work in the healthcare profession. And for that, you deserve uh, kudos for uh, sticking with it and uh, staying strong and treating people. It always deserves kudos, but this year, even more so. So thank you from the other side of the world. Thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> so how was it, as a matter of fact, uh, was it a, 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 a year that uh, was, um, was it tougher, in all honesty, or you felt you kept strong and uh, could... Uh, could maintain uh, during your off hours and not be consumed by what's going on healthcare-wise? Me, the wife, we, we tend to spend a lot of time at home anyway, so, you know, our home life wasn't that much changed. And, you know, work life, a lot of changes this year, a lot of craziness, uh, you know, from the start of the epidemic pandemic to, you know, even now it's like every day there's new rules and, it's a, it's been a bit of a nightmare, and I'll be glad to get 2020 behind us. But uh, 2021, at least for the probably the first six months or so, is not going to be a picnic as far as all that goes. But we'll uh, bind together and we'll make it, right? Yeah, it's certainly um, you have 12 months essentially uh, of uh, sort of like what were the results personally of these 12 months and what can we learn from that moving forward and uh, you, like you created a structure and routine in a way 
in terms of how you uh, how you navigate the real world and um, how you navigate your profession and how you navigate your family life. Uh, so it, it's certainly it's still it, it isn't new anymore. Is my point, and uh, which, which mm-hmm. is bad and good, I suppose. So that you you you're getting used to it, you've adjusted, but you obviously wanted to be over with as well this is not uh, what what it's supposed to be like uh, we're not uh, we're not supposed to live in a world uh, a pandemic world uh, so uh, but but hopefully most people are like to gather their experience from this year and then apply it and uh, they stay or become rational in the in the process you know I have a simple <laughs> moving pattern if you will for life I like I'm a homebody anyway and um, I don't commute because it's a small town, so I don't need to commute. commute. Uh, and it's easy to stay away from people and in the stores and whatnot that I do frequent. Uh, the distance has always been great uh, this entire year. We haven't people haven't been climbing all over you to get to their apples and oranges or whatever. Yeah. But whenever I do feel slightly uh, unsafe going into some stores that are smaller. A bit more narrow, then I have the mask ready to go, and it's fine. It doesn't uh, bother your freedom to, to have it on for a little bit. You, know? <laughs> you can even talk with a mask on. So, how dare you try to interfere with my freedom? <laughs> it's strange how uh, that reaction manifests itself inside and become external. I thought, I'm gonna say my formulated opinion about why I think masks like uh, negates my freedom. And and by the way, this is not a purely American thing. It's uh, all over the world. I just read a piece of news that some German politicians, and of course it was an alt-right politician, that uh, made fun of mask uh, wearing and uh, you're sure that because it doesn't affect crap. Uh, he's got COVID. Yeah, of course he does. And he's in the hospital. <laughs> Getting the best treatment possible, but all those other idiots that listen to them get uh, get nothing. Yeah. But you know, it, it was funny watching it from the very beginning. Like when I first heard about it, I'm like, eh, "This sounds like just the flu. This doesn't sound like anything too bad," you know. And then, you know, I, I've been a nurse through many uh, many flu seasons, sure. and I've never seen the. Uh, the whole hospital filled with flu patients, you know, mm-hmm. like on a, a med surge floor, we may get, eh, you know, a, a busy flu season might be one or two a month, you know, somebody uh, admitted with a, a high, you know, with something so severe that they needed to be, you know, medicated, either given fluids or what have you. But that that's a pretty busy flu season, you know, one to two a month. You know, it's some flu seasons I never receive. I never have one flu patient on a med surge unit, me personally, you know. And, you know, I've had patients that have died from the flu, you know, elderly people who develop develop pneumonia from it, you know, because they're not moving, because they're so sick. But it's a real rarity, and 90% of the time they would go on hospice and stuff like that. So that was what I was initially anticipating, but then... One day we go to work and like there's there's one person on a different floor and we're like, oh, we got one, you know, because I remember when Ebola, we prepared better. You know, I feel like the medical field prepared better for Ebola than they did for uh, Mm COVID-19, you know, because there were all kinds of things set up. We had like documentation about it, you know, da, da, da. And you watched uh, Ebola syndrome in preparation. I watched Ebola syndrome. (laughs) I know everything. You know, so... 
So we were more prepared for that. Then this comes along, we get one, and then the next day there's four, and then the next day the most of the ICU's filled. They're trying to put them on one wing, and then the next it's like my wing is entirely COVID. You know, it's like crazy. You know, and then it kind of went away. But now after Thanksgiving, we've seen a big rise again, where we had been without them floating around in every single floor of the hospital for a while. But now, you know, you start seeing it again. And I'm sure Christmas is going to spike again. But it's been interesting watching it, you know. For all its positives and negatives, I suppose, uh, these things uh, reveal true colors of um, of, of persons. And uh, the filter has it's been off, off for, for a while, you know. I think what I was trying to say was like at the beginning, it seemed like everybody was, you know, okay, we wear a mask, you know, it's, you know, everybody was on own point with it. And then the second the fucking politicians got, you know, start making all these comments, start seeing nurses regurgitating everything they're seeing on the news and shit like that. Like, you know, well, you know these things really don't work. It's like, well, why the fuck you've been wearing it in flu rooms for the past, you know, fucking 10 years? You know, it's like, you know, well, then just you quit wearing it and I'll wear it. Oh, I ain't going to do that. You know, then the second they get a COVID patient, they're freaking the fuck out. Like, oh, well, I mean, why are they on this floor? And you go somewhere else. <laughs> it's like you, you wonder if that rationality was ever present or if uh, politics and, and uh, politics and media just uh, uh, degraded because these are people that needed to go to school to do what they do. Yes. They're just as, uh, you know, fallible, I guess, as everybody else. It's been funny to watch. I mean, you know, I'll shit on my own profession and uh, <laughs> and say that it's been funny to watch, you know, how nurses react to this versus how the doctors have reacted to this. I only know two physicians that have went crazy, wahoo, conspiracy nut, but I know plenty of nurses, you know, you know by the boatload. I'm not, I'm not going to go into details, but I just I know a couple of different doctors who straight up do some shit that, you know, like, what the fuck are you doing? And all the other doctors, you know, I'm talking to them about them and they're like, I can't believe this motherfucker. Like, does he live on a different planet? You know? <laughs> yeah, it's a planet of alternate facts. Uh, yeah. But uh, but yeah, uh, changes in the air medically, changes in the air, hopefully politically. And um Whatever that does to 2021 remains to be seen. But in the meantime, it's Christmas and we need to talk pornography. So, <laughs> so that's, what we, that's what we're going to do. <laughs> that, that's what we do. We find two Charlie Cho movies because he somehow represents Christmas to us. And uh, because we, we, we've stuck to that tradition for, for a number of years, whether going as far back as watching the unsubtitled uh, Devil of Rape for Christmas special because we just did. And... Uh, Charlie Cho is, is uh, equal to Christmas for us. And uh, it's getting harder to find the cool movies. But as I said, if there's a minute of stuff, it's worth talking about. And in these movies, he's not the main actor. In one of the movies, he's not in for that long. But the minute he does log, 
pretty good. <laughs> you know, you do remember him. Uh, so let's get going uh, for all your podcast on Fire Network needs, including the back catalogue of This Week in Sleaze. Uh, this year we did uh, the Mindfuck audio commentary, for instance, so do check that out. And uh, we have another episode in store already for 2021, so we are, we are plowing ahead, even though we haven't done uh, as many episodes as prior years. But uh, all the social media links are on the site, so uh, follow us over there, follow the updates on the Facebook group. Listen to us on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, rate and subscribe and all that good stuff. Let's get going by uh, listening to uh, 30 seconds or so of music from The Story of Lady Sue from 1992, co-starring Charlie Cho. He's uh, not the main actor, but he certainly is a sight to behold, I'd say. But uh, we'll get into that and uh, review the movie, and uh, we'll see you in 30 seconds or so. Welcome back in the first uh, review of this uh, Christmas uh, special, uh, even though it's a regular episode in many ways, but uh, it's uh, framed around, again, two Charlie Cho movies, a special Charlie Cho Christmas for you. And uh, it's the movie, uh, the first movie is uh, called The Story of Lady Sue from 1992, sort of uh, one of the golden years of Category 3 film making. uh, High profile, high budget, or mostly low budget. Uh, uh, This is a period... uh, Fantasy, martial arts, sex, films. It's uh, it's uh, in that vein. And some porn in between. A plot from my review of the film. Yin Feng, played by Tan Lap Man, finds himself uh, the target of Li Chun, played, uh, who's, who's the leader of the black religion, played by Lam Wai of Long Arm of the Law fame. And while fleeing, he strikes up an uneasy alliance with the money-minded fairy of Po Tin Mountain, played by Charlie Cho. Yin Feng does get to develop his uh, fighting skills, his supernatural fighting skills, however. And he also saves in the process street artist Fan, played by Maria Tung, from being sold as a prostitute. But tragedy will soon strike as Li Chun will not give up. So it's, uh, it's a supernatural battle and some porn in between. As for my opinion, I, I've seen this um, once or twice before, uh, but that doesn't mean it's a gem. But for a good number of stretches, largely a good enough time. It's low-budget period stuff, but uh, the director Lam Ye-hung makes it uh, a little bit more expensive-looking. Uh, He's got a good eye for these things. And sex scenes uh, do show um, some commendable effort to make them sensual, visually pleasing. And there's good pace to the scenes involving the wire action and special effects. There is a pretty damaging middle section that disrupts uh, the movie's pace, but then it snaps back into place uh, when it uh, comes to the finale of the film, and then, and then it's over. Perfectly acceptable and some quotable scenes and images along the way that I'm sure we'll talk about. So, Joshua, what did you think of the story of Lady Sue? Whoever she was, because the girl, the girl is called Fan. <laughs> yeah, bo- both of our films had interesting titles this week, like in reference to where they actually fit in with the film. Good, good fun. I mean, it's got a little bit of everything. Uh, it's maybe not all concise and it is a little bit all over the place at times but i mean you got charlie you got laser fingers you got 
all that crazy shit. You got nudity. This is, you know, just aching for a Hollywood remake. Yeah, once uh, Marvel runs out of stuff, maybe they should uh, go to external places and find other stories. I definitely Disney. Disney's. De- I'm sure they probably already bought the rights. Yeah, because that will fit Disney. Uh, Disney mold. <laughs> you know, the fairy of uh, Poutine Mountain movie. And Charlie can still do it. He still uh, looks like uh, he's enjoying himself uh, yeah. on screen. So, uh, so that'll be it. Uh, may- may- maybe you can uh, deep fake some Avengers footage with Charlie Show, and then, <laughs> then like, I am fairy of Poutine Mountain. You know, snap. <laughs> Beautiful. So it all helps, Joshua, when you got no subtitles for the opening text crawler narration. Imagine if Star Wars opened like that. <laughs> and like excluded a world audience. Like, okay, this is clearly exposition. Okay, so spaceships. All right, who and why? Where are we? So, at the same time, Joshua, thinking of the opening text crawl and narration and what kind of movie we get, it's clearly not setting up something massive, historical, important uh, through that. Right? Like, it is easy to catch up on the story when all was said and done. Right. I didn't feel very left out with this one at all. But it's it's strange because the subtitles back in the day they had audio, but um, so they, they they could have. But I guess that's text crawl is all over the screen, so the subtitles wouldn't fit anyway or blend with it. So just move on with uh, with the movie. We, we, when you look at the opening with like these um, beautifully lit night time street sets you know they're bathed in blue they put select lanterns uh, over there you know at the same time you know it's a low budget movie but is that a sign of uh, filmmakers sort of um, making some these movies better than they actually are and that effort is commendable or do you attach to that at all like clearly they're, they're on a standing set uh, street set but the, these hong kong filmmakers they're, they're very good at like making the frame sort of lush. Does that matter to you? Because it's uh, like despite being pornography. <laughs> <laughs> it has its moments. I, it's not a movie that uh, I think of in like uh, that same Category 3 vein that, you know, where everything's blue and what have you. But, I mean, it certainly shows that we have competent filmmakers here. At least they're trying to be stylish and uh varying different ways throughout the portion of the movie so at least you know it starts off and you kind of know you're in decent hands yeah this director we've seen um one or two of his movies before uh, uh, um, uh what's it called uh home for the intimate ghosts uh, uh yeah, yeah. home for the Inf- uh, intimate ghosts which charlie was in also so uh king who put a like, nice explanation to what this director does lam yi hung he stretches his dollars very well and can produce some good looking celluloid not all throughout the movie sometimes the, the sections in between the, the sex was flat but the the sex itself looks looks gorgeous and uh, and uh, is choreographed to be sensual, you know. Uh, so uh, I've, I've I've seen that in my I've in my exploration of category three movies the way and you often just bumped into his movies. Um, the lead actor uh, Tan Lapman, I, I don't imagine you remember him, but you, you now you've seen two movies with him because he's in both of these movies. Would you say he's suited for um, for playing uh, smarmy sleazy villains? Or do you think uh, his forte is playing uh, a good guy, a hero, as in this movie? <laughs> ah, I'm not sure. I would say, like, 
the opening sequence with him crying to his dad was pretty brutal. <laughs> a lot of ugly crying. <laughs> a lot of ugly crying. It, it didn't endear me to the character. So I'm not sure how well he is at playing this um, hero most of the time. But it, as the film progressed and he kind of became like the action hero, he did a capable job, I thought. He is most of the time an actor who, who does villains. Uh, yes, indeed. Yeah, Where, whether in that. Category 3 movies or even in gambling movies but he he is the big villain and he, he looks whiny as he cries before his dad yes. who's oh been injured and he, he doesn't look like this warm-hearted son he almost cries without meaning it because he's so used to pl- being villains in movies like the actor can't really convincingly yeah. emote tra- tragedy <laughs> and he, he, even his sincere smile i love the actor he's great at what he does but it, it uh, it's not a great fit initially here so even his sincere smile as he looks at maria tung uh, dancing in the street just looks nefarious and sleazy man <laughs> <laughs> which i love like uh no there's the character i know but he he obviously isn't meant to be he's, he's meant to be a hero he's meant to be someone we relate to i suppose uh but he's one of those actors that um Draw comparison to Wang Jiangli of Drunken Master and Snake and Eagle Shadow, the villain. Mm-hmm. For, for like, he, he was meant to, to be the hard character and the invincible villain that you'd really need to overcome with some goddamn good techniques. And yeah. playing a, a good guy, which he did uh, in his own movie that he directed, uh, Hitman, in the, Hitman in the Hand of Buddha, it didn't work because he still looks too hard, but ironically, that, that movie's pretty great um, as, a, as a martial arts movie. So, so Tan Lab Man is getting this uh, red chance, but otherwise he's uh, he's big man and he goes for it. He chews, and that smile, that sort of smarmy nature, suits him like a glove. So it's amusing to me that uh, that that is getting this role, you know. But uh, I, I think you're right. You don't think about it necessarily as the movie progresses. Uh, it's not entirely meaningful that these initial sequences need to be right. Otherwise, the rest of the movie is ruined. Uh, because it's not that kind of movie. You, you you can snap back and forth in terms of appreciating what quality is there, what quality isn't there. And um, Because then, Joshua, you get, um, you know, even before the porn, you get uh, supernatural action. So how is that for you, seeing that this movie employed a, a wire crew and then in the aftermath of making the movie, they had to have effects people to paint on this stuff uh, on the screen. So how was that for you? Well, you know, it, it's one of those things that's... Uh... I want to say it's kind of you love it or you don't. And uh, I'm not the biggest fan of the, you know, the laser shit, the like 1980s and early 90s uh, low budget uh, (laughs) fantasy stuff from Hong Kong. But, you know, I can appreciate the effects and I do uh, like the zaniness of it at times. So, you know, having that mixed with porn, I'm like, well, you know, it's, it's more than just a, a nasty sex movie. So I'm, I'm down with that. Yeah, some technical qualities, uh, for sure. I mean, it's nothing that um, would make uh, Choi Hak and Ching Su Dong from the team behind the Chinese ghost story sweat. But it, it's, a, it's a welcome cookie mixture because it, uh, it, it does. Uh, uh, the category of re-rating is obviously warranted, even though it's not wall-to-wall filler sex scenes necessarily but uh, it's amusing that we got this mixture of uh, you know acrobatic stuntmen decent wire shots decent hand-to-hand and effects and sword play even and um, you know 
it's uh, it's not elite, but it's it's fun to have here. And then obviously the, the Lan Wai character Li Chun is he's seeking uh, sexual prowess. Uh, he's uh, he needs to uh, have this dragon pill made out of virgin's blood because it's a porn film. So and it, it can and here's the funny subtitles. It can help him to be Superman on bed. <laughs> cool. <laughs> You know, it's like pretend to be Superman while jumping on his bed. You, you know? be you. We've all done that. We've all had our own dragon pills for it, you know. Which is funny because Lan Wai is, you know, he's been in tons of movies and tons of different movies, but they, he he wasn't a sexual performer. So obviously when the movie transitions into sex, it's the followers, it's the disciples, it's uh-huh. the henchmen. And, um, you know, his henchmen and his, uh, his uh, woman with the funny sidebrows. Uh, did you take anything away from how he shoots his erotic scenes? Because they're not like, he's not goofy humping. I, I didn't think there was anything too particularly special about them either, though. But, you know, it's just par for the course from what I remember. He's been a little bit better at it. Uh, I, I do remember some, some movies being like, whoa, that's really stunning looking. So, yeah. I, I think you're onto something because his eye for the elegance and the over stylized and the colored lighting, that's here, but it's the sex scenes have flashes of it rather than uh, uh, being, uh, you know, uh, the one I would show in a showreel from the director. <laughs> Uh, yeah, like even his uh, he did an erotic ghost story movie. It was a number, uh, but it's the fourth called Perfect Match, which was pretty. Just uh, looked like it was made on a one dollar budget budget in between the sex scenes, but the sex scenes looked excellent. So uh, <laughs> he can like elevate his visual style, I suppose, if he has the time. Because uh, they, they, these are not movies that uh, are shot for an endless amount of times uh, time. Uh, you got to get him in the can and get it out there in a cinema climate that slowly but surely was demanding uh, these uh, these movies uh, and so so yeah i appreciate that he that he favored the essential but also the the sex scenes and there there aren't that many they they, they feel like a little bit uh, like padding with uh, extensive slow motion even though they're they're set in nice interiors and there there's a sex scene in a bathtub there's an uh, overhead shot looking down at the performers so at least it's not shot in boring modern rooms you know what I mean? <laughs> which, which, which happens with uh, movies in that setting a lot of the time, and they uh, often involve characters that we don't know, but the director is trying to fill a quota. So, even though it's an undocumented quota in Japan, you had a quota back in the day, as you well know, with Pinky Violence, there was a quota. Here, it's oh, yeah. like the quota is 90 minutes. So, get it up there to at least that, or close to it. Um, you're so used to seeing Charlie Cho in, in a suit. And in an office, and having Milka by his side, and getting his uh, milk and his tea, and all of that stuff, and th- that's great. But what happens to to Joshua when he sees Charlie in period fair like this? Uh, do you sit up and like, ah, this is new and special? So, call me, call, <laughs> call me interested. Or, or what do you think uh, of Charlie Cho in this uh, special outfit and uh, in this setting? Well, the, you got to talk about the mustache. The, the- He's got like the Fu Manchu slash catfish mustache going on in this uh, this film, and it's spectacular. What's fun about it is that it's kind of typical Charlie too. He's still kind of a sleaze bag. He's like, oh, his introduction in the film is just like, you know, mwah, chef's kiss. It's beautiful. He's uh, being carried down the street by uh, this is a great two, side um, 
what what are they? What would you call them? Um, they the people that carry someone like that. Uh, well, he's in a he's in a one of those uh, sedans or um, or uh, rickshaws. Rickshaw type thing. Yeah, yeah. Where like, but it's it's one of those things where you, you know he should be laying inside of like a little hammock that's being carried by these two fellas. The two fellas keep it at about shoulders height. And Charlie, I mean, it's really well done, actually. Like, it got me. He seems to be, you know, sitting and you know, laying down while being carried. And uh, yeah, he, he has his little fan as well, so he's uh, yeah, being cool. always with the fan blowing on himself like it was a little hand fan. And he has this smarmy look on his face, like, I'm so much better than everyone around <laughs> me. And the camera does a slow little pan that reveals, for God knows what reason he's not actually being carried by these people but he's just standing in the middle yeah, of he a, has to uh, walk himself he walks with them why on earth that is acceptable to him because he, he obviously loves being pampered yes oh it's so good it, it's a wonderful sidekick because his rumor is that he can uh, he can uh, against payment of course um he uh, can cure your ailments uh, right you got to have money for it. Yeah, of course. Of course, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a bit of a grifter, I suppose. Uh, and my, my favorite gag in the movie, uh, aside from that, is the fact that he is going to um, he's going to someone um, that has a son who's ill. And he's like, uh, okay, where's a billion? Where's the billion? Oh, yeah, uh, there, <laughs> right, right there. Yeah, a, a, a billion. Yeah, my son. He's called Billion. Oh, I thought... You had a billion, so you would pay me a billion. <laughs> a billion. <laughs> and the father is called Million. Of million, <laughs> yes. <laughs> they don't make a lot of, like, wah, 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 noise with that. No. And like, ah, But they, they, it, it's a little, like, underplayed uh, verbal humor. <laughs> it's very funny yeah. that he, uh, he's so, like, I guess, so messed up in the head that uh, anyone is willing to pay a billion. The, it, he, he doesn't suspect that there's something going on there. He got it though. Well, since you since you mentioned a billion, I want a billion, and he got it. Charlie isn't phoning it in. I mean, he can plaster that smile on his face, and it's uh, amusing, of course. But um, and he drops in every now and again uh, uh, in in this movie, being a supporting character. But uh, his uh, wife, uh, played by Xu uh, Yam Yam, you might remember her from Bulgaria, she or, or even Confession of a Concubine. But in Bulgaria, they're remaking the movie she was in, and she's also in Bulgaria. Uh, a much older woman by that point and uh, she's having to talk with Chapman Toe like no one wants to see me in a porn movie man like I'm yeah. old look at me look at me that's great that's her as his uh, wife that uh, does her best to provide the morals and ethics and actually uh, help people or make sure they don't get as much paid and I love the line because um, she, she kind of trips him up on, on that uh, theme on that notion and I love the line from Charlie my wife did it again <laughs> like, she went in there and was like the good Samaritan or something. Like I, I love that it's a very amusing that that is their dynamic. That that sequence, like what it was, was uh, during Charlie's walk up to the billion household or the million household or whatever. A woman approached him with a child in her hand that genuinely looked pretty much half dead. The child did, and uh, asked if he could please, you know, for free fix the child. And Charlie's a scumbag, so he says no only do it for money so he goes in he fixes gets his billion dollars billion tails comes out 
goes back home. He's trying to count his money. His wife distracts him and steals a hundred tails off it or a golden tail, whatever it is, and um, gives it to this mother so that she can approach him to get the child, uh, you know, cured. And uh, yeah, of course, Charlie figures it out pretty quick. But that's where our uh, our young grasshopper who cried, ugly cried at his daddy comes in and turns out he has some skills at curing people too. Yeah, so Charlie becomes martial arts master, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is in an, an amusing sight as well, uh, you know, that he's part of that trope. Um, <laughs> I love that during the sequences where like Charlie's training and stuff, training the young man, the young guy is doing all the work and Charlie will start off like throwing a punch, like, you know, one punch or two and then he just kind of quits and goes back to fanning himself <laughs> while the other guy's training. And I mean, it doesn't sound like much acting to just look small, man, just pleased with himself. But he's really good at that. Yeah, I mean, he is an expressive actor. You have to give him that. That um, absolutely, he he gets those um, he he gets those places. Even in crappy recent movies like that Supermodels movie we watched a year or two ago, which is not a good movie, but Charlie shows up to and he still inhabits that um, character. And that character's trope, I suppose. And he does it well. And it's true here as well. Obviously, the movie needs to snap back into the connection between Tan Lapman and the Maria Tung character. And that's nothing the movie excels at. Um, even though it's, it passes by very quickly. But rather, it's the noises it makes in terms of action. It's the engaging supporting performances like Charlie Cho in Siu Yam Yam. Siu Yam Yam, Susan Shaw. And uh, those noises are are what carries me, not necessarily uh, the sex noises either. Because there's not a whole lot of sex for a while. We, we'll get to the point where it just seems to realize, oh shit, we forgot to make a porn movie. <laughs> uh, but like the opening sex scene uh, is between like the instructors and student, and then they get another sex scene in the middle of the movie. Tan Lapman and Maria Tung obviously have were one or two of them. So for a while it's not sex wall to wall but um then again it needs to repeat uh, performers because the movie hasn't got that much of a character gallery i suppose so uh, therefore a little bit of repetition turns up here uh, and and the sort of standard of shooting the sex scenes it remains the same it's decent enough but nothing that um, the direct the director has done uh, uh, better uh, before but then we get to the middle section where it really does stall for a good 10-15 minutes and just sort of just shoves in sex scene upon self-pleasure scene with characters we have not seen before like at one point a random prostitute walks on the screen and then (laughs) (laughs) like okay who's this and then she goes into her uh, her room and has this dildo self-pleasure scene that was when i thought like i smell quota slash i smell oh shit it's not gonna be 90 minutes (laughs) <laughs> that's we need 15 minutes of stuff here i don't know if you've made any like mental or written notes that this this is like unknown characters uh for a while here uh, like, like the guys who tries to rape maria tung's character they get sex scenes you know so but, but they're they're not present in the narrative either necessarily so the director populates a good middle section of the movie with characters we absolutely have no idea of and it, it it hurts the movie because it's it's okay it's fun to talk of like she's using this wooden dildo ah, it looks like a penis uh but but it doesn't matter for the movie that much you know what i mean yeah it's it's very it ties the plot together very 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 loosely okay the prostitute or whatever she is 
that comes in and masturbates with the wooden dildos. She does that. I'm trying to think. And then the two people, the two other little helpers around this place, they watch. And so they get hot and bothered. They go have sex. And then the wooden dildo woman gets touched by a ghost. And so she gets like in a catatonic state. Yeah. She, so that's she, when they uh, had to. She, she gets this diagnosis where, where the subtitles go that she met some evil or she's meeting she some evil. She met some evil. Yes. 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 And so that that brings in the guy, what's it, our our lead character, whose girlfriend at this point has been kidnapped at this same house. There's much easier ways to, I'm sure, have got him there. You know, like he didn't have to sit there and set up two different sex scenes just to get him there. But it is what it is. Yeah, I mean, it's eight to seven minutes, and uh, without like a smaller middle section would have added uh, under eighty, and, and ninety was important uh, for right. to to plan showings or what have you. So I can just imagine that this was the solution. You know, it obviously doesn't disrupt uh, the movie to the point where it's unlikable, but uh, it stalls the middle uh, because, again, the narrative and content and characters was enjoyable to to a degree. And uh, and, and these sex scenes, it's not always that the visuals break out, so they're not enjoyable necessarily for that. And, and then, boom, introduced Ghostly Revenge, and it sprints to the end. Not yes. a bad idea, but it looks like, okay, we've done the sex scenes, but now we only have... A little five time. Minutes. Five minutes. <laughs> Burn her. Burn Maria Tung's character. Uh, uh, she's back as a ghost. Good, good, good. Action, action. Like it's, it's frenetic. And I loved it for some reason because you could almost see the cogs in the sort of filmmaking wheel going. Yeah, yeah I, I liked it too. But, uh, you know, not in a way like, ah, oh, this is, good, you know, good movie making or anything like that. It's just like holy shit, what happened to this movie? Like, let's, you know, it's just so quick and it's so crazy and kind of like the general, I don't know what I'm looking for, the, the action of it, I guess, yeah. makes it so much fun. I mean, be, being fast-tracked does get us literally fast to the end and through the end and therefore... Right. Catches your attention again, too. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, it's a reprisal of the action techniques the movie has been using, but the, the superimposed superimposed powers conjured up on fingers looks pretty cool i love how it glows oh yeah the the flashes around a body that's uh, affected by the treatment or powers looks a little bit goofier but i've always said it's functional to me uh, that uh, a movie employs those kind of effects i have an affection for it even though it's you know not uh, grand or uh, the second coming of uh, effects in 1992 from from hong kong cinema or anything uh, but uh, I, I do appreciate that. I love, speaking of effects, it's, it's my, I guess, uh, one of the great Charlie Cho gags. I love how he casually throws a curse over his shoulder, energy bolt over his yes. shoulder, into the face of Tan Lapman, who is now, based on that curse, uh, he said, disfigured. And uh, they only do it so to test the love between the Tan Lapman character and the Maria Tung character. <laughs> I love it because Charlie just sort of like, Flicks his finger, <laughs> fingers like right. behind his back. So, Phew! I didn't. The do movie anything. doesn't like go out of its way to like really explain what it's doing at that point. Like, why did he just scar this guy up? Uh, you know, it it, it it has something to do with the fact that he can't. Uh, he's uh, restricted in terms of what powers he uses because he's been taught by by Charlie as his master, but he needs uh, to uh, um, evoke other powers to uh, defeat the black religion, so it, it, it has something to do with that, that he needs to be let go 
from being his master in order to use uh, powers that greater powers, I suppose, that he does have in in him. It's it's fast tracked. Maria Tung is now a ghost, and uh, it's ghostly revenge. And Charlie Cho is um, throwing uh, uh, punches with uh, Lam Wai's character. We got some decent wire work. The spirit is there, some nice energy to the powers being thrown, like pew, 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 and then ends with ugly crying. Over. <laughs> and I don't dislike it because, I, I, as I said, I got a little insight. Uh, I, I could really imagine that they were sweating in order to get the structure right, and it isn't quite right, but they get everything in there, I suppose, that they wanted, even though it's uh, the, the pace is kind of strange. Yeah, uh, getting there, but uh, you gotta give kudos to Charlie. He he does some hand to hand actual choreography and uh, yeah. does moves in several moves in in shots rather than like just one and then the stuntman go in there, you know, because he's not that guy and he he's not been used as that guy. Even though he's in Police Story one and two, he's mostly you know in the background as Jackie's uh, stuntman uh, take the falls and take the pain and all of that. But yeah, it's easy to forget that he's in Police Story. He's the uh, he's the guy that uh, Jackie cracks his glasses at the end of uh, Police Story. You know, it's kind of an image that turns up in uh, in still libraries connected to Police Story, and then he turns up in um, Police Story Two as well. So, yep, got to work with Jackie back in the day. Uh, any other notes uh, you want to give? Um, I mean, we all had a good time and could recognize uh, what it was doing, uh, both uh, good and bad. So, uh, but uh, we we also have an understanding of how these movies kind of work. So, you, you critique each separate element uh, good and bad and uh, you sort of tally it up into well it's this era it's these kind of movies did I have fun yeah exactly and and, and actually did I, I had a lot I of fun did. actually yeah and uh, it, uh, it goes to show that uh, when Charlie changes uh, uh, setting costume it um, it's not a uh, stretch at all to see him um, in a different setting and costume because he's um, that character still breaks through uh, and in all seriousness, I think that's very enjoyable because he, he was shown that um, he can he can bring it even if it's not uh, you know no it, it is low hanging fruit in a way uh, <laughs> but um, I, it, it gets to me and uh, some of the things were genuinely clever including said sight gag uh, so that's the end of my notes for the story of Lady Sue so I'm, I'm glad we got to it because I, I was struggling to find like are there any good movies left I mean he's in a lot of them. But I have to sort of pick them on the criteria. Well, there doesn't need to be a lot of good. Just a few minutes worth. And then I can get Joshua on board. And I did. And uh, I guess it was worth it that uh, this wasn't a hidden gem, but rather a sporadic, uh, a sporadic good time. But um, anything else you want to say? No, just a good time. You know, Nothing too crazy. Nothing too outrageous. But, you know, the far worse ways to waste 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so as for availability, it's um, it's actual DVD out of Taiwan that I first owned was missing most of the sex scenes. And that was how I viewed it initially. Uh, you, you could see those cuts were pretty evident, you know. Uh, not a whole lot, lot of nudity, some nudity. But uh, I think we're, you know, it was below 80 minutes uh, at the very least. Uh, but it had a Mandarin dub Laserdisc release that retained all the humping goodness, uh, which is what we watched. Uh, I'm not sure how frequently that pops up in shops or auction sites or back alleys because you get your laser discs, your smutty laser discs uh, that way, I suppose. I don't know how it works in the real world. It, it is Hong Kong or Taiwanese porn after all, so you have to look everywhere for it. Uh, so um, 
Maybe it'll turn up, but judging by release habits in Hong Kong during 2020, there's a good chance we'll randomly get this on Blu-ray in HD in a, in about five minutes. <laughs> because now the the bar is set because they release. It's not like they only release like Sex and Zen one, two, and three, but random thrillers like Evil Instinct, Carrie M is in that. Not a terrible movie, but not like this gold standard. Of category three at all and then like horrible high heels which is not a good gold standard either even though it got uh, some some crazy little sequences in it that came out on blu-ray from from, from a company that brands its brands its uh, blu-rays as ho- like uh, classic chinese movies or hong kong classics line okay horrible high heels fantastic <laughs> so the story of lady sue might just turn up oh it's here here it is joshua <laughs> just got it <laughs> let's watch it again Keep an eye out for it if you uh, liked what you heard. So let's take a music break and afterwards uh, we'll take a look at another 1992 movie uh, known uh, in some uh, cases is literally on the VCD case. The title is Demon Wet Nurse. But the actual on-screen title is... It's so metal, isn't it? Demon wet nurse. She's a wet nurse and she's a demon. She's gonna have horns and shit. No, not really. Uh, The on-screen title is the more classier Madame Fengshen's Lover. We'll uh, we'll, uh, fill you in. Uh, It it doesn't have a demon wet nurse in it. (laughs) So just to lower your expectations. (laughs) There's no wide, like, five minutes of, like, uh, a demon rises. (laughs) The wet nurse was a demon all along. No, no, it doesn't have that either. It does have our lead actor, who was a good guy in the story of Lady Sue, Tan Lapman, is now in uh, some uh, some more comfy territory in the stuff that he does quite well in movies uh, so uh, that, that's what we're going to examine after the music break Welcome back in the second review of this episode in this uh, Charlie Cho Christmas special. Yeah, the last episode of the year, even though we didn't do um, many episodes this year. But as we said, we, we at least did the audio commentary for Mindfuck, and that was quite a big deal. It uh, got out on uh, YouTube as well, and great Lord Joshua Regal make sure it, uh, it's not children's friendly, but it's YouTube friendly. And it's been out for a couple of months, and I had no uh, strikes or um, notifications that this has been classified uh, for adults even. So Joshua, you obscured the uh, fucking, you know, uh, really well, really well. Uh, But at any rate, check it out uh, in audio form and in video form, our uh, audio commentary for Mindfuck. But uh, let's talk to conclude the year of 2020 here on This Week in Sleaze. And let's talk Madame Fung Shen's Lover from 1992. And plot from uh, my review with some opinions uh, dropped in. Bearing the much better title, The Demon Wet Nurse, on its VCD cover, this category-free period drama featuring uh, power struggles and naughty things within the Imperial Palace walls definitely has effort put forth, but immense chunks of uh, plot seems uh, to be missing, and those holes are nowhere near filled up by the end. 
Uh, much seems missing in the story of poor Ru Yi, the female character, who applies to be the nursemaid of the Emperor's son. She gets help to gain access by the character of Wei, played by Tan Lapman, our hero from the story of Lady Su, and soon they are both heavily involved inside the palace. She as the nursemaid, and he as a eunuch in training. Wei also finds time to murder Ru Yi's sick husband and child, a fact barely mentioned after it happened. Uh, that's one of the things that bugged me most, but we'll get there. Yeah, it's uh, for quick opinions. Even though that sounded like a, uh, <laughs> that was my quick opinion. No, <laughs> <laughs> it's an interesting category-free film because even when they made costume movies and period movies, it was all classy exterior, seemingly, but in reality, it was all porn. You know, cheap porn. Sometimes even silly porn. But this film actually tries. It's well shot. It aims to make the production look quite grand. Sometimes it even achieves that very well. It looks great. Its problem is the infatuation with that, which then results in quite a slow pace and not a clear, well-paced, fast-paced narrative. So it, it comes off as professional but quite sporadic in the storytelling department. And even though the unsubtitled explanatory on-screen text cards that forward us through the years and presumably are fleshing out the story, we... we don't have access to those because they're not English subtitled. It still feels like a sporadic movie. But, you know, the effort is appreciated, and Charlie's funny. So let's uh, move on to your uh, short opinion first of uh, the Demon Wet Nurse or Madame Function's lover. Who was Madame Function, Kenwell? Uh, yes, please. Do, do, who was that? Do you know? Both of these movies have uh, names in the titles, and we don't know where they were in the movie. Like, who was Lady Sue? Well, there was some lovers at different times. There was a story, and there was there a lady. There was a story. <laughs> but uh, in, in, in short, uh, what did you think of this, uh, Madame Function's lover? Not a big fan. Not a big fan of this one. I thought uh, it, it's going for big, epic story across multiple timelines and trying to be a lot within a small context, but honestly, it fails in many different ways. I mean, there could be a different edit of this. Maybe if there were additional subtitles on some of the little setups beforehand, maybe it would explain a few things. But honestly, it's hard to imagine because even with the all the setup in the world on the little, which we'll go into shortly, there, there's multiple different sections in the film where it go, jumps ahead by like 10, 15 years or whatever. And each time it does so, it has a screen that pops up with a bunch of text on it like the, the the only thing we can interpret from that is like one is 1620 one is 1624 so you have four years right. past, but there's, that's not all it's saying right and, and in between those times characters seem to drastically change uh even in their like most base core of what they are like you know heroes become villains etc mm. and it's it's difficult to keep up with that and it's hard to imagine oh by the way the hero has been uh, turned into a piece of shit over the past four years that's not going to pop up on a screen you're supposed to show that yeah i fully agree i mean it's probably what i mean by the sporadic it's sporadic in the storytelling department and it's uh, it's more adept at and probably more infatuated with the technical qualities um, but it really feels um, spotty that's why I, I almost struggle to talk of like w- what is good and bad about it. Well, it's interesting because it's trying, but also uh, not doing very well at the same time. Yeah. The attempts, the try to make it uh, lush 
and uh, make it look like a real movie. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, interesting to look at. Uh, but but uh, yeah, obviously we get an unsubtitled scroll at the top even. So okay, if it's only one, then maybe I can get into the movie. But there's like three or four. So we are a bit lost. I mean, I, I connect uh, back to the, the gangster epic to be number one. It, it's not like category three or something we watch, should watch for this movie. But that also had on its uh, DVD print, presumably its cinema print, also like quite long sections of um, text uh, that put like 30 minutes in. Now we're in this timeline. This has happened. And that wasn't subtitled on the cinema print either. So I, I, I felt quite behind following the developments of to be number one so it, it's a problem with these movies when they uh, when they employ that tool so yeah uh, the, the problems again also is that people who subtitled these movies they often only had access to the audio so that's why it turns out this way but uh, it's um, it's a negative for us trying to experience the whole movie um, and even if it's a ratio they, it's not a given that they they go back and uh, add subtitles to this so. but if we talk a little bit about the um, technical quality because yeah it has parallel exteriors we see that even um, in uh, sex and the emperor well we've done the episode it's coming out after this but it's uh it's a movie that's uh you know looks great on the outside but then gets silly also cruel but also silly and that's the hong kong movie we know the, this one doesn't uh, in that way it uh, tries to uh, maintain a pretty consistent visual quality i mean the initial sections in snow i thought looked great they really produce some great looking exterior cinematography even though they might not have been working with much but uh, it looks great and it doesn't seem like an anxious porn movie joshua it's not this movie that uh, you know shows the uh, palace and the temple and then cuts to a uh, some fake humping set in a corner in a in a room with a bed and some draped uh, some some drapes over the bed Ta-da! period movie this movie doesn't do that it looks uh, the technical quality stand out but it doesn't carry the movie into good territory so if i just stop uh, right there you know it's evident early before b- before you really form your opinion of the movie that those technical qualities do show up because they're at the beginning of the movie so was that something you connected to noted that uh, this movie's trying a little bit harder it's not made on a ten dollar budget uh, as such no, no. Like, like I said, uh, I've kind of you kind of get that feeling from the beginning. The exterior shots and stuff are all very nice. Like the, I love the, especially in the beginning. The her village, the main character's village, is this dystopian snow village. You know, <laughs> just it's it's always snowing, no matter what time of the year they seem to go there. And it, but it has a wonderful quality to it. Like it's like, oh man, this is kind of harrowing. Like something about it's very dark and morose. But it basically feels like a big movie, like we're trying to tell an epic story about multiple families and timelines. And you know you're in pretty good hands, but uh, there's something missing along the way. Yeah, and and it's not all due to those explanatory title cards. It really isn't. No. Ironically, and I don't know if you noticed this because you, you, we're all sort of brainwashed and uh, subtitle neutered. This one has excellent subtitles. <laughs> unusually good subtitles uh, just one minor slip up towards the end no like uh, uh, how cruel you are and uh, no no misspellings and uh, it was really good but it doesn't help in in the long run um, drama is a little bit too uh, operatic and melodramatic at points as uh, 
the as the mother abandons the baby the Ruhi character abandons the baby it paints that moment with a huge orchestra and a rather good take of a crying baby who throws off its uh, hat because uh, the mother is leaving to uh, become the nurse nursemaid you know seek something greater seek money uh, first of all and then um, she encounters obviously Tan Lapman's character who has the manipulating act going you know he's uh, sort of tries to paint himself and that did it. this is why i like him in these roles because he, he tries to paint himself as a kind always sort of fast talking and giggling man as well <laughs> you, you know he's uh, you, you can spot him from a mile away and she seems to catch on and uh, but but oddly enough his manipulating act seems to work because uh, the dialogue transfers into uh, jokes about girth and he starts to uh, yeah. inspect her breasts uh, like he knows what he's doing for some reason like he checks the breast for apparently good quality mother's milk and any it, but but it's not played for uh, uh, it's not Wong Jing goofiness this uh, right. that's not the vibe this director is playing it or rapey you know necessarily because she seems into it, it it's kind of wild like the beginning of okay, the, the setup for this story is you know our hero, you know there, there's something like there's a quick you know even though the subtitles are good they're very fast so you miss a few things and there's some white background so you miss a lot of little things but uh, it's snow for ten the first ten minutes so yes or more but you know the story the setup for the story is like this girl is down on her luck some of the villagers think she's almost cursed essentially because of her bad luck but her husband has been out of work for a year because he's just constantly ill they're trying to make ends meet to feed their child you know she goes into town trying to get some food and she comes back home she along the way she had heard that you can get a hundred tails for going and becoming a wet nurse at the uh the palace the local palace so she goes home sees her husband he's not too keen on the idea but during the night, she seems to just leave, right? Like, it's like she runs away. You don't really know if she talked to him about it. Because the last thing that's said between the two is, like, he doesn't like it. And, and then she goes to, you know, feed their child. Skip forward, she leaves. Uh, she looks for a ride. This guy stops, says, hey, I'll give you a ride. But first, got to go back to my house to drop off some of this stuff. I mean, doesn't that seem like it, that, that works? For, uh, that, that, that character shell works a lot better for, for this performer. To be, to be a bit shady. Yeah. But, you know, it's like, you know, if you want your hero to come across as more heroic, I guess, she probably shouldn't be, you know, going and cheating on her husband and leaving their child with a deathly ill man within the first few minutes, right? <laughs> yeah. It, it becomes increasingly harder to connect to the motivations. And as you said, who really is the one to root for here? Um, and, and the movie doesn't get away with, like, no one <laughs> and w- one of the things that fucks with me the most is so she drives she goes she gets the hundred tails she sends it back with the guy that she slept with and up until this point the guy seems like your average category three you know oh boobies oh, oh type character which doesn't necessarily always mean like psycho you know psychopath but he goes back and he gets the husband the deathly ill husband to sign that he received the hundred tails And then he goes inside and he kills the man. He kills the deathly ill man. They didn't show him kill the child, the baby, the two-year-old looks like. So he just left the baby to starve to death. Yeah. Would you say? That would be an assumption, yeah. yeah. And I'm like, fuck, man. You know, that's fucking on my head. And I'm like, wow, they just, 
That is brutal. Like now, drama has started. Let's follow through. Right. And do they follow through? No. No. So they never show the baby. They never show nothing. There is this sequence in the film that takes place. What did? What was it like? Twenty days later, uh, after she's become so successful at uh, being a wet nurse and keeping the baby in the palace happy, she's been so successful that she leaves town. And none of the other wet nurses can get the job done. So they send a ton of troops to go find her because she went home to go see her husband and child. Well, she never makes it home. She makes it to her village, but she's shopping first to bring some gifts home. And as she's shopping, there was this weird bit where she sees a kid, right? I'm like, well, was that supposed to be her kid or is that supposed to be her thinking about her kid? Did her kid possibly get picked up by somebody, you know? You know, I'm sitting there hoping the best for that this child didn't die of starvation in a crib. And and, and this is, I think, uh, the, the fault of the final assembly rather than us not being able to read the the subtitles in general because we can. So I think there is a fault here in in the assembly and in the storytelling that that we're not stuck here with uh, okay, let let's assume and then okay, cool, then we'll move on. But Robert, there there is something missing here. There are pieces missing here i mean not even by the end it comes back uh that that streak of revenge that she's planned for years and years and years and now it's coming back and you killed my husband and this is my revenge that i've been planning for 15 years not even that comes back to my recollection no. i mean i i guess way the character tunnel man plays getting his dick bitten off by a dog is retribution of some kind but no, that never happened though didn't they say that he, he was missing part of his penis and therefore he didn't need to be castrated no, he goes to this. Okay, so that guy, the guy who killed the husband, we're talking about, he ends up. So here's how fucked up he is. One day he's walking through the streets and the, he sees these uh, eunuchs, the eunuchs that are coming searching for um, our main character to bring her back, back to the, a palace. During that, he gets pissed off because they run him off the road. So he starts screaming at him. And this old eunuch to his left says, or to his right says, Hey, don't yell at them. Those are East Wing eunuchs. And he's like, yes, so what? And he goes, well, they can kill with impunity. You don't, they don't even have to ask for, for permission. Mm-hmm. So he goes, oh, shit, I've always wanted to kill people. <laughs> you know? So he decides that he's going to uh, become a eunuch. Well, his idea is he has a, a connection at the palace. And he goes there and he says, first he's trying to talk to him. He says, look, a dog bit me. You know, you don't you don't have to cut me off. You don't have to cut off my penis for that. And uh, when the guy still seems a little shady, he pulls him to the side and he goes, well, here's, uh, you know, four or first 100 tails. And he says, well, you know, if I get in there, I'll give you 4,000 tails. Basically, he gets away with not getting castrated. So I, I don't believe the dog tail was real. I think that was his first go around with trying to, uh, you know, not get his dick cut off. Right. And then he bribed him and. And within this, it sounds wild, but it's actually quite a slow-paced movie, which uh, could add some atmosphere and some hypnotic atmosphere because it's a classy-looking movie, great costumes and all that, but it really doesn't pan out for the makers to be more concerned with slow development. Uh, And not not that I was requesting wackiness, but I was requesting, like, clarity to pass the time. There was some nastiness, like, especially during those castration scenes. Um, Those are never pleasant. And, like, uh, there's a a giant cauldron full of blood and dismembered penises. 
Yeah, that was rather. Uh, that looked like a stew, <laughs> a stew and all. I shit. They, they don't empty that thing. It's just been years collecting of blood and penises. I I, I love how uh, satisfied Tan Lapman is after not being castrated. Obviously, the the guy performing it and him they're in on it, and uh, they they know what they're doing. So he's like, <laughs> I don't regret anything, and he's almost smiling like, oh, fantastic, fantastic. I did it. I I I love his performance style because yeah, uh, you, you you grow to hate. Uh, that, oh yeah, that, that, he's uh, easy to hate in this one. Yeah, yeah. but but again, it's um, we we can attach to that and grasp that and understand those beats. But then the movie really do- that doesn't fill in all the beats and all the holes uh, very well. And especially towards the end, it was just like, uh, oh, we're missing a ton of stuff here. Um, right. But uh, by VCD disc two, we get Charlie, uh, yeah. the Emperor. And he's uh, being presented with tonight's uh, pleasure. Uh, he, he's, he's sitting there in a chair, sort of scratching his feet. He's being twitchy. Um, and he's got a sticky on uh, beard, not a Fu Manchu mustache. But uh, within this production quality, it looks good on him. Oh, straight to the fucking. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, the uh, any notes on Charlie's uh, scenes and uh, the character of the, the Emperor? What's his problem? Charlie's great. He can't be pleased by nearly any woman. Apparently, and I'm not—I'm not sure if the, his little assistant was blowing smoke up his ass or not. But apparently, he's so endowed that uh, women, <laughs> once he gets in there with them, they immediately almost faint. And or you know, I don't know exactly why they go limp with him. But you know, the women at first he goes, "This is a dead woman. Get me a live one." He rolls her out of bed, and she gets rolled up to the front and does a little bow. They bring in another woman. Same thing. Isn't the implication that that uh, they actually they actually die? No, because I, at first I thought that, but the the first woman he rolls out of bed, they roll her all the way up to the front of the door or whatever, and she gets up on she stands up, gets on her knees, and bows. Right. Like, okay. You know, thank you. So so she did live. It's just that I guess they pass out. I'm not sure. Because the funny bit was like uh, when one of them goes li- uh, limp and he. Puts the curtains away, like, give me another! Like, I've killed another one! Give me better! Like, so that was funny to me. I mean, it's a funny role, though, but um, that, that he needs to go through uh, concubines and uh, women uh, on and a so nightly basis. recommends the wet nurse. Uh, she's experienced and she's, you know, a mature woman, so let's Ask get her, her in there. <laughs> get me her! It's funny, like, our lead character, this wet nurse, uh, like I said, you know, it's hard to make her a hero when she just abandons her family and everything like that. And she's so quick to sleep with another guy. And especially as long as they suck on her feet, that's what she's into, you know, Quentin would have loved this movie, by the way. (laughs) Yes. So, you know, but you know, Hey, whatever, you can make an excuse for it or whatever, even though it's hard to imagine the excuse for abandoning her child, especially when we know that that child probably died. But as the movie goes along, I mean, it's pretty straightforward. She's the hero. She's a good person, right? I mean, I never got hints that she was evil. Out of those two, yeah, because she, she gains position in uh, in the palace. Uh, but it's, they never show her, like, manipulating to get into any of these positions or no, anything. No, not necessarily. She, she's just good at what, her, what she does, yeah. uh, even though she looks kind of... Um, I, I like the look of the actress, actually. She, she looks kind of cute closet gorgeous but uh, maybe has a mean streak uh, in her yeah. but uh, it was also a little bit hard to firmly connect to that because i was expecting like the revenge plot point is gonna come 
soon, right? right. And and talking of like how the the husband's um, the conclusion to uh, that her family's uh, died. It's too much of an event for us to assume that and feel it's okay that that is never touched upon. It seems it should have been cinematic to a degree where that is touched upon at some point that she either finds out very late and and crafts a quick revenge or that she finds out at one point and then takes her time. I was missing that and I again I'm I, I'm no good at paying attention to movies uh, clearly because I was like yeah, he 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 totes a killer with his uh, penis. Clearly there there's some like hmm where's the where's the rest of the story? Where's the other 10 minutes? Up until the finale of the film and you know spoiler alert I guess she's still close with the guy who killed her husband. She's very she's close with him cuz she has him leading the guards. He sucks on her toes in a late scene after she has become you know, and, and that's another thing. It's like in the fin- final like minutes, I guess, or whatever, the movie goes, introduces things at a very awkward and bizarre like lineage. Uh, we're introduced, I don't know, it's like 18 years later. Apparently, after Charlie fucks her, Charlie goes, I'll make you the queen, I'll make you the queen, as he climaxes. Next shot, she's the queen, basically. And we're like, oh, Okay, well, that's weird. Charlie must have divorced his wife. How, how did that happen, you know? But that's not what happened. It's like, you know, we if you didn't pay attention, I guess, to this card that said it was like 18 years later or whatever. So it's like further in the future, and she has apparently become the spouse to the young boy that she's been breastfeeding throughout the whole movie yes who may or may not have spent the past 18 years breastfeeding i'm not sure mm-hmm. he's uh he's 16 years old but seems um he, he's at uh he's quite a kid uh his demeanor so then we have a sequence where she's on the throne basically and we have the eunuch guy, well the fake eunuch guy come up and he sucks on her toes when everybody's gone and blah 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 then we skip forward when we meet the young king and he is he's getting chastised by these fellas that are all telling him oh you can't it's not right that you marry your wet nurse da, da, da. you can't do that she's older than you etc etc and uh he gets mad at him and tells the eunuch guy the fake eunuch to beat them well he proceeds i don't know if he took it upon himself to kill them or if that was what the order actually was but he ends up killing one of the old men that was was wanting uh, him to not marry her, so he beats her. Beat he gets beaten, beaten, beaten. As he's being beaten, he goes, he says something along the lines of that demon. He's talking about the unit guy. You're evil, da da da. But then he says that demon woman or whatever. He said that evil wet nurse that came into our land, da da da. And it's like fuck, she's evil, you know. And I'm like, I'm willing to trust. I'm not going to trust the. The guy doing the beating. I'm going to trust the guy that's getting beaten to death. And then we skip forward after. And then when after that, we start getting like these scenes that I. There's nothing beforehand. It's just automatically. I guess we've jumped back in time now, to the point where the young king or whatever starts to first find his body and like he gets his first heart on and like as a teenager or something. I don't know. You know, but we get all those scenes. It's like, well, those scenes should have come first, right? Yeah. You know, but the, or at least if you're going to do that, at least have something pop up on the screen that says, you know, three, four years earlier or something like that. It, the whole thing just kind of really falls apart in the last act. Yeah, there's a streak of cruelty that doesn't um, 
fully to me anyways it seemed to, to logically add up especially as they reintroduce the character who's um, uh, a woman that apparently has a penis but it did maybe dual organs as well because uh, she has been so sporadic in the narrative she, she was introduced quite mm-hmm. early so now well, when she comes back late it seems like yeah he's trying to eject uh, one of the possible rivals to his rise to power but that that was also a bit too much to assume for me because she she has like two or three scenes, right? Uh, including one sex scene where she turns out that uh, yeah she she can hump her. She humps, yeah. But I, I guess uh, you know they don't. I'm not asking them to show a penis, but just something <laughs> a little more. I've had my, my I had my share of penises. I watched mine fuck three times. So because <laughs> just let me know that there she really has a penis, and it's not just them scissoring because that very well seemed like that could have been scissoring but 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 you know what i mean that that that, that character seemed like um the way he got rid of her seemed like um very important that 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 that, that was an obstacle but we had not had any experience with the character essentially since that sex scene so i thought that, that right. was very lacking as well and then you know it it, it almost seems like uh the, again spoilers that there should be a part two to this because it's very open-ended, and uh, the the resolution isn't much of a resolution. It seems like mm. we're uh, we've maybe we've had two thirds of, of the story, and right. maybe ends. Just like none of this makes sense <laughs> by the end of it. And, and it's also too much to assume that well, sometimes shit is dark, sometimes evil is evil, and that's what we're gonna leave you with. But it's not. There, there, there's too many holes still left here, and even though I I misinterpreted some plot developments i could still sense that it doesn't feel very complete and, and it's a shame because clearly they, they were able they, they, they were technicians on this movie but not narrative technicians necessarily i guess no even if evil is evil or whatever it's like the main character who by the end of the film is described as being evil she it's like nothing she ever does almost is evil she she sits there and she's rather skillful rather Right. The, well, the king, like, as a young man or whatever, he basically molests her, right? She's not She's not manipulating her way into power. She just kind of, like, is a useful, warm body at the time. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, the only two bad things that she ever does is first she's sleeping with a, a minor, uh, with the king. And then, but I think that, that is all considered fine up until the point that he becomes the king. They even say that. And, and cheating on her husband. That's about the only really like evil thing. She never like seems to have like an uh, ulterior motive for anything. It's just always, you know, sex kind of leads to her getting becoming more powerful, and she doesn't ever seem to really do a lot evil with her power. What the fuck? Yeah, it's um, I I, I didn't write a favorable review back in the day, and they, they, this was merely pulled out for uh, for Charlie's scenes but it, it is an interesting examination of when right. when category three filmmakers really uh, behave and try they also have a, a great chance of uh, misstepping and uh, failing in other areas so it's it's like that hmm, if you're making this kind of movie what should you focus on well we want to make it look uh, good but uh, whoops time ran out to sort of uh, make it complete as well Right, which makes it interesting to look at. It's not just like oh, Charlie has somewhat goofy scenes, um, even though like like his scenes are funny, but they don't, you know, it's, it's funny, but it's it makes sense somewhat within the atmosphere of this film. So Charlie isn't like doing greatest hits 
from yeah. uh, previous movies and let, left to his own devices. So they still sort of direct his performance. This is a, a frustrated emperor, and when he finally can harm someone for a long, long time, which the emperor, of course, always does, and uh, she lives or doesn't faint, then uh, of course he's going to go uh, primal and sexual and uh, not be this uh, sort of uh, classy and uh, well classy lover because it, it's it's more a primal hump scene when yeah. uh, when it finally goes right for him. But uh, but then we don't get more of Charlie because that that time jump uh, that means. Uh, Charlie's uh, left in the dust in the story as well. So, yeah, but, uh, it's, it was an interesting examination. I'm very glad that you got uh, some very concise, uh, critical notes out of it rather than uh, sucked. <laughs> 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 uh, because it, it is an interesting examination, even if it's not a gem at all. But uh, within this, uh, 1992, we weren't quite there yet in terms of rapid production. Uh, well, r- rapid productions. It got worse in 1993 and 1994. Boom, boom, boom. Make, 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 make. But it's uh, it certainly has a place in that uh, thriving sort of category three uh, scene. It, and it uh, the things it does is interesting, but uh, it doesn't uh, perform uh, very well in the end. But interesting to watch. Yes. Um, so as for availability, therefore, the only release I have encountered was the Hong Kong VCD under the title Demon Witness. But um, again, the on-screen title is uh, Madame Fung Shen's Lover. So that's why this episode is framed around that title rather than the more metal title Demon Witness. Um, uh, but yeah, go hunting. Hopefully you'll encounter it. Or oh, it will be released on Blu-ray in two minutes. So tick, 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 tick. Yep, I was right. So um, on that note, uh, we're going to sign off with a little, some, some well wishes. This might be a movie about sleazy, sleazy movies, but uh, we're not callous people, of course. We're going to give you some season's greetings. But uh, before we do that, some very quick contact information for all your Podcast on Fire network needs, including the back catalogue of uh, This Week in Sleaze. Go to podcastonfire.com, find us on Apple Podcasts and uh, Stitcher and Spotify and uh, rate, subscribe, even leave a comment and follow us on social media. All relevant links will be in the show post. So I guess uh, as for season's greetings, uh, let's stop the fucking for 2020. But take care of yourself, your loved ones. Listen to what smart people are asking of you. They are not asking much of you. And it's not all about you. That's my hot take for this year. Like, <laughs> it's not all about you. Uh, so let, let, let's bring some of that rationality into 2021, shall we? So Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, Happy Holidays, uh, Happy Hanukkah, I suppose. Um, season's greetings, but just warm, positive wishes regardless of what you do. So see you in 2021. We will be back. We have an episode in the pipeline. My aim for this show is still to examine this era, but also it's not always about finding connective tissue, Joshua, but finding movies with an angle to be spoken of you know uh, i i i don't want to i don't want us to go and repeat necessarily so my aim is also to find and look at some of the newer category three movies um, whether they go old school on us or just simply higher rated movies for a bit of violence here and there you know what i mean Uh, but but i do want to examine that because that is not an area that i've uh i'm not done my due diligence kind of thing exploring all of that so that that's going to be new for me as well so um, i aim to sort of mix and match and make it interesting and uh, so certainly the episode we have coming up after this one is um, is an interesting mix of uh, a palace intrigue movie that's very cruel versus a, uh, a, a more of a pleasant category free comedy about some morally dubious 
things. <laughs> so that's a little tease for next episode um, that, that we've done already, funnily enough. But um, that's my wishes to you, Joshua, of course. So f- thank you for uh, being on uh, board and uh, producing sporadically with you. is still... Uh, is still inspiring and uh, joyous to me and you bring it and I hope you can do a few episodes uh, next year because uh, you're a good man to take the time out of your busy schedule and uh, increasingly sort of you know it's it's a different work profession that that we discussed and uh, I wouldn't blame you if you needed to fully deflate be with your family and focus on all of that and not turn on the mic obviously I would uh, very much be understanding of that, but I'm very appreciative of the effort that you put forth here in 2020, especially the the episodes uh, we've uh, produced uh, here, the regular ones, but also the mindfuck audio commentary where you spend some time on the video portion. Very appreciative of that, and I hope uh, that we can uh, bring some category free content for next year as well. So, hello everybody, this is uh, Futures, Lisa K, I suppose, and uh, we got an unscheduled uh, guest spot. Uh, I wanted this person on because I, I enjoy whenever he can get on the podcast and uh, we were planning for the longest uh, time to get the uh, sleazy trio on the show but our old friend king who couldn't make the main show but he took the time out of his busy life to uh, grant us a guest spot so merry christmas king who how are you doing I'm doing well. Hello. Howdy. Hi. Merry Christmas to you. Um, I'm glad you uh, could fit this in for me. Thanks. And uh, I mean, you're, you're an authority on these um, things. Uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't say an authority. There's a lot more smarter people than I uh, than I am on, on, on these things. Well, uh, you, you, you know things uh, from from your heart and your mind and you store information that you want to store about about uh, boobies and buttocks and... Uh, Pubic hair and, yeah. And therefore we need you on this show for, for himself. <laughs> uh, but in all seriousness, as I did with the great Lord Joshua Regal, we obviously uh, don't want to re- reveal uh, uh, your entire life as such, but uh, I know you're open with uh, certain things on social media in terms of your profession. And uh, I'm, I'm not going to say anything else other than you did a good deed by working the front line this year, this year of uh, COVID-19. So in all uh, seriousness and uh, short coming from me, you you deserve a great big thank you for uh, helping out. And uh, if you want to reveal in any way what you specifically did uh, within your profession, you're welcome um, to do so because uh, it was a new experience, wasn't it, this year? Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, thank you very much. I mean, I, I really didn't didn't do much. I'm a, for those of you who don't know, I'm, a, I'm a, one of those dirty police officers in the, in the <laughs> States. He's a, no, he's a naughty police officer. <laughs> I'm a naughty police officer. So, but when uh, COVID hit, the area where I work had a big uh, COVID screening uh, and a COVID test site. So for the first five months of the pandemic, myself and a, a few other officers were uh, stationed down there. Uh, about 12 hours a day, four to five days a week, just pretty much watching cars go in, making sure everything was uh, was okay, pretty much trying not to fall asleep. Those were, were long hours. It was pretty much the summertime. It was hot. So I really didn't do much, just uh, pretty much what, what cops do. They stand around and wait for something to happen. Made sure order was preserved. And, exactly, uh, exactly. And if it was non-eventful, then I hope uh, your fellow men and women uh, uh, behaved and weren't uh, douchebags uh, about this whole testing thing. No one was bad. At least I don't. I don't think you know. At least, I, at least I wasn't bad. Um, that's all. Uh, that's all I, I, ca- I care about. But it, it went. It went smooth. The testing site is still up and running since since March. It's still going. Um, you're he- you're heading out again? Um, no, actually, I'm just back. I'm back on my regular uh, beat, so to speak. 
I'm not I'm not doing that anymore. There, it's, it's an overtime gig now. Mm-hmm. So cops who want overtime can sit down there or and, and try and try and stay awake for for 12 hour shifts. Um, it's easy money, <laughs> but uh, I don't have time for that. Well, for for good thing that needs to be uh, done, supervision needs to be there as uh, other frontline workers uh, work uh, uh, close to uh, the persons who who are there for tests and uh, so forth. Oh, so. definitely, yeah. They they, they deserve uh, all the all the praise. My uh, my my wife is also uh, on the front line. She's uh, in in the the medical field, and she does more than I do. She's in like nursing homes and all that stuff every day. Well. So she's she's more next close to it than than I than I ever was. So she's yeah she's like the she's the hero. So you've had your share, uh, you and your family, uh, your share of uh, COVID tests uh, by now that you can feel one of those stamp cards, right? I honestly, I have never had a COVID test. I got an antibodies test and it came back inconclusive oh. because of course it did. <laughs> they couldn't tell me whether I had it or not. But my wife for her job has to get a test every, uh, I think, week, week and a half. So she has, uh, she's had plenty. And knock on wood, she's never, never gotten it, yeah. Excellent. Well, uh, I'm, I'm glad you both uh, are... Um, Uh, are healthy of course and you're attending to your family uh, during uh, Christmas time and within all of this Christmas time you managed to log you know essentially three hours of work watching these two movies um, I couldn't I couldn't say what they were about but I, I watched them well uh, sometimes um, it doesn't matter in the case of the second movie Madame Function's Lover it's a little bit uh, tricky to untangle as me and Joshua have detailed in the show but let's start with Story of Lady Sue in all short Um, uh, to discuss it a little bit um, in a short manner, we know the director Lam Yi-hung usually do- usually does well working the low budget. Uh, can shoot some sensual stuff, can shoot some low budget action stuff, fantasy pew 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 effects and all of that, and then he can have Charlie Cho in the midst of this uh, doing what he does. But is this memorable at all as one of those fantasy movies that has Charlie Cho, you know, out of the office, not a suit, and he plays um, more of a more of a grifter rather than a pervert in this one? So. For for me, the story of Lady Sue is only memorable because it's so hard for me to find. Like you know, I collect all this stuff, and I don't have anything VHS, Laserdisc, VCD, even posters, lobby cards. I have nothing for Story of Lady Sue. I've only seen the Laserdisc available maybe twice, and it was way overpriced. So this this movie just sticks in my head because I don't have anything from it. Uh, but does it do its uh, job independently as a, as a, as a fantasy film with occasional erotica? I mean. Uh, It's not wall-to-wall erotica, so it needs to do other things. Uh, no, but it's good. It's good. I, I love the fantasy effects. Those are my favorite. I love all that stuff. It's very, very strange. Charlie Cho and uh, Sue Yam Yam together. Uh, it was just, it was very, very odd. It's it's a low-budget movie, so obviously, as I said during the show, uh, show Choi Hak and Ching Soo Dong don't need to break a sweat watching the story <laughs> of Lady Sue. But you know, how does it do? Considering it is a low-budget movie, but it has an action team and it wants to deliver some kind of energies i mean is that fun or even notable to some degree when they start doing action and the effects start flying as well for me it is i've seen so many category three movies you as well like sometimes the nudity isn't it's it kind of gets boring and stale so when you do uh spice it up with this kind of fun uh heyday action and the, the cheesy effects that stuff makes me take notice yeah i certainly took notice that there there was a pace to it yes, uh, yes. these movies can have a sluggishness to them because they're not blessed with time or budget or maybe the A-team uh, in terms of uh, an, an action uh, an, an action group. A 10-minute sex scene. It's like, all right, we get it. I've seen her tits. I've seen her bush. Let's go. Granted, this movie has problems, I think, in the midsection, uh, middle section of uh, just uh, stacking 
stacking sex scenes like it uh, almost forgot that it needed to fill a quota when the sort of random right, prostitute right. enters that then has a <laughs> self-pleasure scene. And, exactly. Uh, but but the, the, gro- the advantage for me, not to repeat too many of my notes, was that when you got over that, it snapped into place and then rushed to get the plot done. And that meant, right. oddly enough, that it was an effective time. Uh, it didn't drag. It just sort of started sprinting. No, no I like that. I like when, when movies are, are compact, 90 minutes, it, uh, and it, it did its job. It gave you TNA, gave you some action that maybe you didn't know you were expecting, and uh, some of the, the, those cheap effects. Charlie has a comedic presence rather than sexual presence. <laughs> yay or nay? Uh, yay, yay. Charlie, yay. It's, it's, always, it's always gay for Charlie. Yeah, he's always enjoying himself. It's Charlie Cho. Yeah, yeah, ironically, um, speaking of like the availability, I I had the Taiwanese DVD that was one of those DVDs that was missing most of the nudity. So the way I saw Aww. this was a lot of jump cuts whenever romance started, and then like a abrupt as heck uh, jump cut, and then it was done. <laughs> oh jeez! So it's like that's uh, not fun. Yeah. Seventy-five, seventy <laughs> minutes. Something. Okay, it's short, but where is everything? <laughs> Um, so therefore, we we had a chance to watch this copy of the Laserdisc as um, uh, as did you. So, um, if we transition into the second movie, Madame Function's Lover, both movies feature Tan Lapman, and, and and I forgot to ask that Tan Lapman as a good guy in the story of Lady yeah. Sue versus yeah. Madame Function's Lover, and pretty much every other movie he's in because he he loves be playing the smarmy, the sleazy, the villain cranked to 11, whatever. He's really good at it. He has a, has a big shit-eating grin. He's really good at it. Boy, does he ever. But seeing him in a good guy role, was that like, something's odd, something's not right there, or was it enjoyable to see him switch roles? Um, it's It was enjoyable. Um, I, I just recently also uh, rewatched the erotic ghost story, which I forgot he was in. Mm-hmm. And he was kind of a kind of a good guy. I mean, a little bit smarmy. He's trying to play all these, all these uh, uh, ghosts. But for me, Town Lap Man is synonymous with um, the movie Hunting List from uh, Chu Yinping. I just have a vision of the VHS cover, him with his long hair, a gun pointed down at someone. So that's his, that's when I, when I think of Town Lap Man, that's who I see. I see him on the cover of the Hunting List, the VHS. You, and you, you've just spoken of two movies that are uh, remakes of uh, Hollywood movies, yes. <laughs> Erotic <Yes>. Ghost Story, <laughs> which is of Eastwick Hunting List, uh, State of Grace, meaning Tan Lapman has essentially played Jack Nicholson and Gary Oldman. <laughs> that's, that's not bad. That's really not bad. Uh, so if we move over to Madame Function's Lover, where he's a little bit more in his element, um, uh, you know, he's, uh, he's a manipulator and all of that. But the movie, the, the theme of the sort of a review that we recorded is that th- this is a movie that looks better and looks more professional than most category free movies. But our opinions, me and Joshua's, was that it was kind of severely lacking in the storytelling department. And it's kind of a, it's kind of dull. As a matter of fact, uh, it doesn't get there. And it's an interesting film because it it does many things technically well, but the storytelling feels a little bit um, sporadic and even uh, dull at points. But uh, what did you think of it? I, I don't even think it was about Madame Feng Sheng I, I, or her lover. I don't know what was going on. It was at at the end. I think it was more about uh, Town that man's character than than the the, the sexy lead, uh, the demon wet nurse. I I mean, I like the film. It was great. Charlie's character. I mean, it's almost like they forgot to have a sex scene and they just called Charlie Cho up and say, listen, do you want to do something? Give us like 10 minutes and come on down. We'll give you lunch. And uh, he showed up and just jackhammered this poor girl. And uh, and that was it. Set up on his way. 
I, I even misinterpreted the fact that uh, the emperor that he plays, that uh, the women he beds every night, I, I thought they literally died. But uh, as Joshua pointed out, no, they, they just faint because uh, the grandness of his member, if you will. Like, did that work for you? The, the fact that this is a better, more well-shot production, has some great exterior photography, even good subtitles. Like, did that work for you? That it was more serious rather than this? Uh... No, I just it was for me. I, I'd seen it before. It was just kind of a, a run-of-the-mill type uh, period piece erotic film. It was it was a, a lot more technical uh, and savvy than. Um, the story of Lady Sue, that's for sure. If you're going to compare the two, uh, this was definitely better shot, like you said, better uh, produced, perhaps. But um, it wasn't like an erotic ghost story, something that, that seemed more a little, a little highbrow, even though it's so prurient. This makes it stand out, I think, that this uh, takes itself a little bit more serious, is technically accomplished. But for, for me, uh, it was that, that notion that I, I was kind of confused about who to sort of root for and side with because uh, you you watch the story of uh, the woman. And I, I recognize the actress, but still I can't place her. She plays the character Ru Yi. And uh, the, the, so the way she gains power in the palace and the way Tan Lap Man gains power in the palace... Palace. I I thought um, I, I I couldn't connect to who to really root for, and and also those unsubtitled uh, text cards that pop up every now and again. I think would yes. have helped us if we could have read it. Uh, oh, I agree. I agree. By now, you should be able to read those things. Uh, you have watched enough I movies. I have no idea. My wife. T- my wife can't even read Chinese. She's she's a she's a bad Chinese lady. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, despite Charlie's. Um, outrageous scene uh, which which is admittedly funny would you in your estimation uh, rank this as a funny movie goofy movie or is it a more serious unusually unusually serious category free it's a little more uh yeah a little more serious than than i would prefer i i would prefer i prefer the stylings of story of lady sue i like the action i like the 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 cheap effects of the time but this was a little more uh stated a little more i mean there's a ton of nudity which you're pretty much that's the reason you're there you're not you're not there to, to for for plot you're there for for tna and it does the job and it's it sort of ends abruptly as well which may may mean that they had something more in store or that those text calls that we just spoke of actually were more expressive than um than you might think as a matter of fact um because i was missing some what i perceived was there were lapses of logic here and unconnected threads uh, but uh, i i I found it very interesting rewatching it that uh Boy, it uh, it does try quite a bit, and it's also uh, it also you know warrants the category three rating, obviously, and uh, it's interesting, but uh, it's it's um, it's not outrageous enough for me to return to frequently, and it's not as well told and well plotted uh, for me to return to it on on that level. But uh, there's going to be some images that's going to linger. I mean, heck, as we said during the show, uh, unknowingly, I, I picked a movie that's set in at winter, so Christmas special, boom. Ah, that's funny. That's funny. I didn't pick up on that, yeah. All those um, snowy exteriors that we get at the beginning of the movie that looks uh, rather fetching, uh, to be honest. Right. We we all picked this movie up because of its AKA Demon Wet Nurse. That's, and, that's uh, the best, yeah. Not uh, Madame Function's lover, but, uh, you know, at least we have that on the VCD, uh, VCD uh, case and disc. Like, that. that's what it says. 
uh, do, do, do you remember that stuff now that you have it? That, oh, I hunted for that uh, lobby card set or that poster for such and such. Or it's uh, like like those war stories of trying to find things. <laughs> do you remember certain, that stuff? Certain films, yeah, just like the story of Lady Sue. Like, I know I don't have anything, you know, of it. So certain films, yeah. Um, I think I bought uh, the Demon Wet Nurse poster and a lot of posters. And it came with like 10 of them. So when I was trying to sell them on eBay, I couldn't even give them away. No one wanted them. So I still have about 10 Demon Wet Nurse posters lying around. Is that the poster where the, the title is so obviously across the chest of, uh, yes, of the lady yes. and Tanda Man is uh, licking her uh, boobies? So yes. let's do the title <laughs> in an arch because obviously <laughs> the scene is, you know, the, the angle of uh, the action is what it is. So let's do the title in an arch. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, have you ever considered um, collecting um, Thai posters? Because I found the, the Thai art for Story of Lady Sue for the show post art, and they they also sort of look um, they they do look fetching. As sometimes they have an idea of uh, alternate way of presenting uh, even the category free movies. So were you ever into sort so like I'm going to switch to Thai for a bit, where it's not even feasible financially? As, well, financially, it's definitely not. I can't. I can't do that. I spend so much time, money, and effort on buying actually the Hong Kong posters and and some Taiwanese posters. I do like the look of the the Thai posters, but I, I just prefer the the I guess quote unquote the original Hong Kong version. Yeah. But this, I do have maybe about forty or fifty Thai posters. They're really they're really cool looking. Yeah, the alternates uh, to Hong Kong posters are sometimes really cool, and sometimes you that's the only thing you find is exactly. the Thai versions. Exactly. Uh, I do dig them, but uh, it, it's never been a desired hobby of mine, uh, this physical collecting. But I admire that uh, some people go uh, go all in. But but I, I, I guess it can be a frustrating uh, collecting scene as well. I bet there are people yeah. who just price jack and uh, they don't even do it for a good reason. You know? Oh, they do. Yeah, I, I, I used to just um, just buy anything I can. Now, I mean, I just can't afford it. As things are just they're hard to find now. They're hard to find. Even in Hong Kong, uh, I have Hong Kong friends tell me when they see a poster that I post, like, how the heck did you get that? They, they can't even find it in Hong Kong, you know, the the, the origin of the poster uh, or the lobby cards or whatever. So uh, everything is, is getting harder to find. I do have a lot, so maybe that has to do with it as well. I already have a lot of stuff that's that's available. Um, so it's kind of kind of slowed down a little bit. You got to look at it, too. You can't just buy and have it all rolled up and never look exactly. at it. So, uh... Exactly. That's, that's why I share them. I, what am I going to do with these things? I mean, they're all rolled up in in, in uh, my, my my little room there, uh, only for me. That's that's not fair. For uh, for alone time, for for dad, daddy alone time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my the, the name Ru Yi. That was the demon wet nurse's name. Mm-hmm. That's my that's my daughter's Chinese name. Is it really? <laughs> yeah. So when they said the name Ru Yi, I had to like pause and look read the subtitles to see if the the actual name was Ru Yi written in in, in Chinese, and it was. It's it's actually it's a good name. It means it's like a, a royal scepter, and it symbolizes good fortune and power. And it kind of means like as you wish or as you desire. So it's a good name, but my daughter is named after the fucking demon wet nurse. So <laughs> yeah, merry fucking Christmas to me. Keep the change, you filthy animal. My daughter's named after the demon wet nurse. <laughs> no, no, I was I was trying to get like like Simon Yam for my son. My my wife wouldn't have it. Nothing, nothing. So I had to deal with like I, her her dad named them the Chinese name. And that's the so, way it should be done. That's the way it should be. <laughs> you got to name your dog. And what's your dog's name? Charlie Cho. That's it. That's it. 
And he's a, and he's a good dog. I know that for a fact. Uh, I keep an eye yeah, out he's, he's, uh, for he's, him. He's uh, he's uh, he, he's he's a watchful eye of uh, the entire family. That's how I see him. He pissed all, he pissed over our living room floor this morning. So still does that. He's not a good dog today, but he's a good dog. Uh, very cool. Well, I, I suppose uh, our little uh, guest review slot has come to an end. But as I did during the uh, uh, the show, uh, I do want to wish you as well a happy holidays, season's greetings. Uh, but obviously just sending warm, positive uh, thoughts and hoping you, uh, you and the state you are in it continues to uh, to get better and, and that 2021 can see some improvements and light at the end of the tunnel but you you got through this uh, year as a as a unit uh, you did it with uh, you did it with uh, humor and uh, professionalism and uh, if uh, that can be uh, done then 2021 i think uh, can be conquered as well and hopefully uh, there will be some uh, some, uh, some some medical Helper, helping uh, aspects to that year in the form of a uh, vaccine, uh, vaccine and all of that. So, um. Sure. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It really means a lot to me coming from you. I, I really hold you in high regard, and I, I really hope the same for you and, and your family uh, in the new year. Any other spontaneous thoughts other than, yeah, cool? Yeah, cool. <laughs> yeah, cool, Ken, whatevs. When are we, start, <laughs> when are we getting paid for this shit? <laughs> exactly. Happy New Year. Merry Christmas to everybody. Uh, enjoy some uh, Christmas movies in the midst of all your sleaze. And uh, we'll catch you next year. Hopefully we'll all be able to go outside at some point. Hey, un- unknowingly, we sort of watched a winter movie. Right? We because, did. Because of the snow setting. I didn't remember that from before. And was, so that wasn't my like in for christmas picks <laughs> like the, it's it's all about charlie really unfortunately it was less of it's a wonderful life and more of uh, the great silence than the- <laughs> <laughs> uh klaus kinski jo- fans rejoice joshua made you happy <laughs> just now yep. uh, but uh, but yeah joshua uh, do take care as well and uh, we're gonna sign off so uh, this has uh, been your uh, sort of um, the, the, the end i suppose if you do it in that order of your double bill podcast uh, that we uh, try to do each and every year with a regular podcast on fire and then this week in sleeves for uh, for the after dark stuff if you will yeah. so uh happy to ha- have you on board thank you for bringing it joshua and uh, i've been sleazy case so uh let's uh let's finish this one off i'll, I'll leave it to you great lord joshua regal to take us out in any way you like doesn't have to be quirky doesn't have to be naughty just say goodbye in whatever way you like Goodbye, bye. Yeah, that was quirky. <laughs> bye, bye. I've lost all my brain powers. So I'm kind of awkward now. <laughs> Joshua sort of uh, t- became very demeaning here at the end of the Christmas <laughs> episode. What's going on here? 